You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. I've been in uh, direct mail consulting for 40 plus years. Okay, I started in 81. And I did a lot of catalog work, work with catalogs. And in 81, the, the IBM PC came out, believe it or not. And I started doing spreadsheets with VisiCalc on the IBM PC and started explaining to people how they could use computers in marketing. And so I would do these talks at national conventions. I was like hot stuff, <laughs> you know, cause nobody knew what computers were good for. And mm -hmm. most companies didn't even have a computer in their marketing department. And a lot of companies didn't even have computers at all. Wow. Just nothing, not even for bookkeeping maybe. And so, and so I got invited to speak all over the place. And then big companies started calling me and saying, uh, well, we understand your little spreadsheets. Could you just like take all our data and figure out what, what's worthwhile about it? Yeah. And, and, and I'm talking about like the Hudson Bay company was a $5 billion retailer. So they came to visit and, and uh, they said, you know, we'd really like it if you could like slam it into a PC. Well, they had 250 million transactions. <laughs> That's, that was more than anybody put into any computer at the time. And we managed to do it. My brother was my uh, tech guy. Yeah. And that get, get, got me even more famous. And then they said, what? What's the big deal gave you, got you more famous because you actually were able to utilize their data? Well, yeah, we, we did a bunch of work for them. And then we did work for Cabela's, which is a catalog, big, was a big catalog company at the time. And Microsoft called and Borland put us on their website. And uh, Adobe was a client, big client of ours. And uh, so we were big, big stuff. Mm. And we pioneered machine learning in marketing. <laughs> Uh, cause I found out it wasn't that complicated once you dug into it, you know, it made, it made, well, it could make sense. Most of it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so in the mid nineties, we were doing machine learning, um, you know, deciding who got a catalog and who didn't. And so we were doing that. We've been doing that pretty much ever since, but now the processing is so cheap that a lot of companies do that for free. You know, if you just use their lists and stuff, they'll do it for free. It's no good. Uh, when we go head to head with them, we beat the crap out of them. But, uh, you know, but we need to get paid for, for just the modeling and they don't. Yeah. You know, they make it up other places. And the, the clients like it because it's hidden. The CFO doesn't say, what's this charge over? What's this $15,000 a month you're paying this guy in Wisconsin? He's, well, he's really good. Uh, it doesn't matter. They'd rather hide it and say, well, this is a list charge. They raised their prices. And so we're, we're doing modeling now. Anyway, so, so now we're trying, and I put this in my summary that you know got sent to you. Sure. What we're trying to do is explain to, to the e-commerce world how destructive it is to try to treat all your customers the same to try to retain the best ones with just pounding them with email, you know, or something and, or SMS. And that, that, that there's also 
embedded in direct mail, which sounds crazy to people, but embedded in direct mail is a labeled data set, which is a foundational requirement of machine learning. You have to have a labeled data set to train the machine, okay? And, you, and direct mail has a labeled data set built into it. If you do digital advertising, you only get the people that buy. You know, you don't know who who Facebook showed it to, right? Mm. And you don't know who was paying attention, right? Much yeah. less who engaged with it, unless they bought. Yeah. If they engaged with it and didn't buy, that's the most valuable piece of information you can have, because it's easier to model people who won't be interested or can't afford your product than it is to model the buyers. You don't know why they bought, but, but you don't need to know why people don't want to see your ad, right? Yeah. It's like I, I worked with, a, with Wyndham Hill Records, a record company, and they kept renting lists of, of their, their de demographic profile. Their buyers were high income, high education, <laughs> men 35 to 55, let's just say. Mm -hmm. and they said, well, we rent those lists and we don't get any orders. <laughs> well, maybe they don't want, like your music. <laughs> you know, there's like 13 million of those. And they had like a couple of hundred thousand buyers. What do you, could, what do you, like when you send some direct mail, what do you know about them besides the fact that like, say they didn't, they didn't end up buying your product, whatever. What do you know about them besides the fact that they received your mail? Well, here it goes. You want to hear? Yeah. Okay. First, we know who we sent it to, Right. And we know the kind of neighborhood they live in, right? We know pr past purchase patterns if they're our customer, right? So we know a lot about them. We know, so we know who we mailed. We know it got delivered, unlike digital, you know, because there's tons of bots seeing your ad, yeah. <laughs> you know, that aren't even people. We know it got delivered to a real household because it's like 99% delivery or plus in the US Postal Service. Not only that, but we know that it went to a decision maker. Because like we had four kids and we never let them open the mailbox and bring in the mail because we didn't want them to drop a couple of things. You know, they don't know what's important and what's not. And so only my wife would throw out mail, right? <laughs> she was the decision maker, yeah. right? So it's going not just to an address, but it's going to a decision maker in the address. Now, direct mail forces you to make a decision. You have to have engagement. My daughter decided she wasn't going to open her mail or look at it in the in the lockdown. Yeah. And she said, after a while, it was a big pile. <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally, she had to go through it. Direct, <laughs> direct mail doesn't throw itself away. Mm. So it forces an engagement on you. In fact, I spoke on this this morning on my podcast or on my uh, live stream, how TikTok is closer to direct mail than all the other digital uh, information, you know, entertainment sites. Because you're speaking, you know, you're not. Because it forces you to engage with it. It shows you one video and it asks you basically, you know, flip up if you don't want to see it. And yeah. so it forces you to make a decision about that video. 
And that level of engagement is so much higher than Twitter or Facebook or, you know, shoo, shoo, shoo. If you're looking at one post at a time and if it, if it reels you in right away, then you're in it just like you would be in a piece of mail. But the biggest thing it does is it gets the non, the, the uninteresting. It, you flag what you're not interested in. And that's way more powerful. Everybody in this whole modeling AI industry wants to focus on the buyer. Hmm. But we don't know why you bought. You know, you just, maybe something just happened in your life that, and it just triggered right now. Yep. Right. And if, and if you, and if your ad hit me any other time, I wouldn't have bought, but it just happened to hit me right now. Okay. You can't model that. You can't model all the circumstances in my life. In fact, I can't even tell you what I'm going to buy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I go into the, if, if you ask me, what are you going to buy next? Like on eBay, I buy on eBay a lot. I don't know. I have no clue what I'll buy next. Mm. I, I really don't. And if you go to Walmart, you know, I could ask you, well, what are you coming here for? You say, well, I want to buy this and this and this. When you come out, I bet you like $1,000, unless you knew I was betting you $1,000, that you wouldn't come out with just that three items, no more, no less. Oh, yeah. You're going to have something else and you're going to not have one of the three because they were out of it or something else or they changed the, you know, the brand or something. The world is much more complicated than people think, okay? But TikTok forces you to say, I don't like that. I'm, I'm a, I'd rather see the next one than keep seeing this one. It, it, it focuses on the decision on the edge of interest. And so does mail. But mail is easier to do. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't create your own TikTok, right? But you can do the same thing with mail. And so that's what I, that's what I tell people. Yeah. Well, you can't create your own TikTok, but it's just a matter of whether it will do well or not. You gotta... No, no, you can create your own video on TikTok. Oh. But the magic of TikTok is that they know all the videos in context and they know what you've been interested in, more importantly what you haven't been interested in. Mm -hmm. And they can then categorize you. Did you know that TikTok looks at the videos with a human and says, "Oh, this is a cat video." Or this is a comedy video, or this is a dance video. Did you know that they have humans that categorize the videos before you see them? Every, I'm sure that there's so much volume that they probably start putting humans on it when it reaches a certain number of views, when it reaches. Yeah, I'm, I, I would guess so. But they yeah. actually have video, they have variables on the videos that are not algorithmic, that are, that are decided upon by humans, mm -hmm. that are categorized. And that categorization by humans is absolutely essential. I did not know that. Where'd you find that information? Watch my live stream. I, 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 I did an article. It was a long article. It was maybe 20 page article and I summarized it. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm on, I'm on YouTube every day and I'm on LinkedIn every day. Yeah. And so the whole industry has got it all backwards and upside down, you know, mm -hmm. and that's why I beat the machine learning people. But right now, you know, I'm so anachronistic that no it's like you know i'm preaching to the direct mail choir but i i really i really want to get to the e-commerce people because if you have a couple of hundred thousand customers i can make you rich because mm -hmm. i could teach you how to retain those and find markets 
that that you could exploit within that through the same type of um i guess through machine learning that, really yeah that, that, yeah that direct mail has the same things that you've learned yeah every e-commerce company should do some mail and most of them do you know wayfair has a catalog and uh, uh amazon has catalogs and you know most of them do most of the big ones do it's funny that you're saying this because I, I actually took a couple of classes at Harvard and one of the Harvard professors was always preaching about direct mail, but he specifically talked about how direct mail is important because um, it's the only type of communication we have that's confidential, 100% confidential. Well, there's that too. Yeah, and, and I feel like that- And that you can test without your competitors knowing what you're doing, mostly. I mean, they can get on your list and they can see your mailings, but they can't see your tests. You know, they're not going to get the split. We can design absolutely scientific field valid experimentation in mail that you just can't do in any other medium because you don't have the engagement level, right? And best of all, we can see incremental, we can see the incremental gain. So we can mail 90% of, of, a, of a file and not mail 10%, you know, statistically remove 10% and we can see the impact of the mail. Can you repeat that again? So I, I was sidetracked, like I, I'm pretty good at focus. <laughs> repeat that again so I can- Okay, that. so we can see the incremental lift. <clears throat> okay, so like, let's let's just explain it. Okay, so let's say, let's say you go to a little league game and out in the outfield, there's a big Coca-Cola sign. Okay, because Coca-Cola has a budget for putting in a thousand bucks for your little league park right in your talk in your town. What's the incremental lift of Coca-Cola sales because of that sign? It's in, it's unmeasurable in the great cloud. And if you take the sign down, will sales go down for Coke? No, right? There's no incremental lift. Mm -hmm. In mail, we can because there's such a high level of engagement. We can mail your customers and we can say like Lovesack was one of my recent clients and the VP of the VP of marketing came from Mountain Dew. Okay. Patrick Santangelo and Patrick, I think he was trying to fire me. Um, but he said, he said, all our market research says that our biggest problem is, is name recognition. People don't know what we sell. Once they find out about our furniture, they know they they buy from us as likely as they would from William Sonoma or other or Wayfair or other furniture companies or IKEA. What company said, what? What company are you referring to again? It was called Love Sack. It's publicly Sack. traded. They got about they had about 80 stores when I was with when I was working with them. Okay. Anyway, so he said our main problem is recognition. So we should be doing lots of mass media so people know about us. Why would we want to spend that money mailing a catalog to our existing customers? Hmm. That was a, one of the best questions I've ever been asked. I said, Patrick, that's an extremely good question. Would you like to know the answer? He <laughs> said, you can find the answer? I said, yeah. He said, how would you do that? I said, well, what we'll do is we'll take that 100 plus thousand people that we've been mailing and we'll not mail 10% of it. Just just leave them out and we'll statistically select them. So there's some good and some bad and, you know, it's all mixed up and that's important. It's not as simple as it sounds, but anyway, and then what we'll do is we'll watch what they spend down the road. Okay. 10%. And what we, 
Pardon? The 10%. Yeah, we'll watch how the 10% behave, which is thousands of people. And we'll compare that with the ones we mailed. Yep. And see if the ones we mailed justified sending the catalog. Well, it turned out that the ones we mailed bought about 10 for every dollar catalog we sent, they they spent about $10 of in sales, more than the ones we didn't mail. So we yeah. have the incremental differential. Mm. And so we know hard dollars, EBITDA, uh, return on investment. But then we noticed something else. What we noticed was that the that for every one order that matched our mailing, there were about two more that were like right next door. <laughs> and so we, I said to Patrick, could I count those? He said, we'll do it both ways. Let's see how it comes out. Well, it turned out that for every, for every dollar we spent in the catalog, we got about $30 of incremental revenue. $30. We had a nine, yeah, we had a 900% return on investment. And, and for every one customer order, we had like two new customers came in. Wow. So it was incredible because direct mail has pass along. Mm -hmm. You know, when's the last time you shared an, a, a digital ad with a friend? Not very often. Yeah, <laughs> Never. Right. Never. Okay. But people come over to the apartment, they sit down, we have dinner, they say, Well, this is a weird couch. How'd you get it up here? You know, and that windy stair on the fourth floor. Oh, this whole thing comes apart. We can reconfigure it. Ah, la, 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 la. Oh, I'd like to hear more about that. Well, they just sent me a catalog here. Yep. And here's a coupon on the catalog. Or yeah, this is what happens. Yep. So all of a sudden, a company that had only been able to grow by adding stores was able to go from 50 million in sales to 100 million in sales. Let me ask you this. Well, is there is there companies that would benefit from direct mail more so than other companies would? Like, do you think that there's companies oh, sure. that shouldn't do direct mail? But I was hired by the United States Postal Service years ago because they couldn't figure out why people did direct mail anyway. One of the people in the, I was hired to teach their salespeople about direct mail. One of the guys came to me between, between periods and said, why would anybody spend $500 a thousand when they can get a TV commercial for five bucks a thousand, which this is back in Wales, but it's now it's now it's a thousand bucks a thousand versus ten dollars a thousand, you know, yeah. on social media, and and so I taught them about that. And then what we did was we sent the salespeople out to companies all around the country, and said, you know, we can help you test direct mail, and so we did programs with Anheuser Busch, with Kaiser Permanente with Oakley sunglasses with um, I got a whole stack with uh, Circuit City Retail with Panasonic there there's ways you can do it for almost any application uh -huh. and so you, you're you have the belief that any business could benefit from direct mail as far as you know you know today the hot button is AI yeah. Right. We want to do AI because it's cool. We can talk about it at the country club. If you're trying to do AI, you should be doing mail because we have the label data set. We have the people who engaged and didn't buy and the people who engaged and did buy. And we can come up with an offer. We can come up with a way to generate a response and we can come up with a way to tell you what your market's about. And so with Lovesack, what happened was we figured out one 
one offer out of four, they had four that they were always rotating through and they were always talking about, you know, you can configure it any way you want. You can make it fit no matter how you want. There was a bunch of them. Yeah. We found out that one of them, and I won't say which, we found out that one of them did better than the other three put together with split testing on postcards, simple stuff, really, really simple. And then they pounded that one on their TV and their website and their social media, and they just hit that one. And that, what happened was we found, we used direct mail as the laboratory, and then we poured gasoline on what we found out in social media and in mass media. And we doubled the sales without one new store. That's the crazy part. I want the editors to like take that as a snippet in, in their in the <laughs> podcast because that, that's okay. Use, they use this. You know whatever you want with this, right? I, I talk about this stuff every day. <laughs> they use it direct mail as an experiment and they, and they found what worked, what actually resonates with people, with real people. And then they used what worked best and they're like, all right, now we'll spend money on it. We're going to spend, why spend money on something you don't know is going to work when you can just use direct mail to see if it will. Right. It takes a little longer, but the engagement level is guaranteed. It's baked in. You can't get around it. It won't throw itself away like every other kind of every other media. You know, whether it's a billboard you're going by on the freeway or it's, you know, the, the, the Coca-Cola sign or it's digital advertising or email. Every other media throws itself away if you ignore it. You know, and, and you got me thinking about the benefits <laughs> of direct mail and it's like, when we pull up our phone and we're scrolling through social media, our mind is in a completely different frame than when we're going through our mail. When we're going through our mail, we're like, oh, this is important stuff. I got to pay bills. So you're looking, you're trying to figure out what's really like, really focused on like, your mind is just set in a different way. You're looking it has to things. engage. You have to engage. You cannot not engage. Now, you might be looking at the indicia and saying, oh, this is junk mail. That's fine. That's okay. Right? But sometimes you're looking at the indicia and you're saying, you know, and maybe you threw away a hundred car dealer ads, you know, flyers, but all of a sudden the check engine light came on, you know, yesterday and you think, ah, it's time to get a new car. And all of a sudden here comes the mail. You go, Oh, look at that. (laughs) They know my, they know what I'm thinking. No, they don't. You just, you just weren't, you, you were engaged at a level, but now, and the truth is, you know, digital has been lying about this for since it started. The lie is, well, we watch what you're browsing on, we watch for your searches, and so we can get the ad there when you're looking for it. Yeah, well, there's a very short window between the time I look for that tripod on Amazon and I've already bought it on eBay. I was just checking prices on Amazon. I hate Amazon, <laughs> right? So all those targeted ads that you think are going to be there when I'm making my decision are late. And now for 30 days, I have to put up with every website I go to, they're retargeting me. Now I only shop Amazon with a private browser. What about, what about, I mean, a lot of people look up, look it up on Google if they're trying to buy a product. So I feel like Google ads might be a little more valuable. Right. But the problem is, is that now, you know, let's say you're selling furnaces or something and the furnace goes out. If I go on, if I go on my phone and I say furnace guy near me, right? Furnace repair. You know what comes up? 
pages and pages of Angie's List and Yelp and a bunch of other stuff. You don't even you have to go down three or four pages before you even get near a real furnace guy near you. And it might not be near you. It might be in the next state, you know, if he paid more than. So you don't get what you want off the search anymore. There's everybody's on the search, right? Better would be to send mail every month saying, if your furnace needs a, or, or how about a spring inspection for your air conditioner? Or here's a sticker to put on your, on your, your heating, <laughs> on your furnace in case you ever have an emergency service. That's the stuff that works. That gets in your head. Before and when you have a problem, that's who you go for. You might still search for them. Google gets a lot of money from, from advertisers paying for the paying for the for the information that's already in a consumer's head. I guess my question now And then is, they claim that, see? My question is to you, how do you replicate that idea on social media, digital content? Like is there so like the idea of you know how you get mail, like you're saying you get mail and it, and it preframes your head and you're like, okay, if I ever need um my basement to be like dried up. I'm going to go to whatever basement systems, whenever I need that. And Johnson, I don't know the name of the company, but I know it's Johnson. Some, somebody does basement, you know, if your basement, there's like a Connecticut basement systems. We have one in Connecticut and they have, I worked for them and they have one in a bunch of other States. Um, yeah. They're under contractor nation. But anyways, that was just an example, but how do you think, um, do you think TikTok is the way? Like TikTok is the most similar to that concept of getting in people's heads, um, getting your product in people's heads before they even start thinking about making that purchasing decision? I think what you should do is you should do that incremental test. You should try some mail and see what the difference is between the people you mailed and the people you didn't, if you've got a customer list. We can do that for you. But I have, and I have a friend, Andrew Ettinger, and he does a lot of contractor work with contractors. And when they start learning how to test, which is the foundation of direct mail, digital has kind of taken a lot of that, but they don't understand it. My, my education is in, uh, is in epistemology and philosophy of science. It's not in marketing. <laughs> but I know how to design experiments probably better than most scientists uh, for valid results. And mail is just perfect for that. And so what we do is we teach the contractor, okay, this is how you test. Remember I told you how Google will capture, you know, you think about, about the uh, basement, dry out your basement guy. Mm -hmm. And you think about that and you say, well, it's something like this. And you, 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 you know, you, you go online and search and last touch attribution will tell you that digital caused that order. See, but that's not true. Because you, it was already, yeah, you're already, right. you're already trying to buy the product. Right. So if you let Google Analytics tell you what's what is delivering your customers, you you may be they have a vested interest in manipulating the 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 attribution. So let's start with the with the digital people. Let's start by saying, okay, I can show you how to really know, like Patrick at LoveSec. We can set something up where you can start to know for sure. And then let's allocate the budget, okay? Mm -hmm. 
And I don't care. I don't care if digital wins. I can I can come up with ways for you to generate response digitally. Right. There's not that's not a problem. You can also upload your your customer list. Most people don't even know this. You can take your customer addresses and you can upload them to Google Ad Network or Facebook, and you can and they will put the banner ad in front of those people. Oh wow. From their from their home address. Yeah, you didn't know that, did you? IP. <laughs> Yeah. That's insane. I know. So you can you use can that, use right? a mailing list on digital. Most people don't know. It's been available for years. That's the I feel like that's the that's the more the money's at right there. That's the key. Well, or but first we have to real but but are they paying attention when you do that? You know, yeah. right? It you can do about 20 more of those banner ads than you could for the same price, send one mailer. Yep. Okay. But what happens is when you start really learning how to do the attribution, you'll find out that mail still wins because of that engagement level. Mm -hmm. Because at the receiving end, you have to engage. It has to be a decision maker and you have to engage. I like that. So how do you, <laughs> if, if someone is engaging on their, on mail, are you able to like, on direct mail, how, are you able to decipher like out, like with an algorithm, who you want to send your ads to, like with banner ads and social media, like how would you, yeah. how would you like divvy it out? Well, yesterday I talked about that on my on my live stream, and I actually did live <laughs> cube <laughs> analysis of customer segmentation. Don't ever try that; that is insane. It was so hard. Uh, I think I pulled it off. A couple of people watched it and said that I did, but it's you really, really, really hard virtual reality world so you could show the, the cube and well i could have done more of that but i really kept it to a spreadsheet look and then and then flipped it into a a 3d graph oh, yeah. nice. and then flipped it back to the spreadsheet and then back <laughs> but try that live streaming no you don't want to try that live streaming it's not no, where can i find that stream well uh if you see my name there miglosh mm -hmm. down in the bottom here uh, if you go to Google and look, or uh, YouTube or Google, and look up videos, Miglosh Marketing, it's under. Uh, I have about 1,300 videos on YouTube. Wow. A lot of content. No views. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Rogan said he didn't get anything to happen until he hit 1,000. So I was, you know, thinking, well, maybe at 1,000, he'll, he'll give me a call, but he didn't. Or he hasn't yet. <clears throat> Put out that many videos on TikTok, I'm sure you'd have way better results. I, I probably would, but I, I do about a 20 minute video. You know, uh, Joe, you know, Joe started doing these three and four hour videos and his friends all said, you're nuts, Joe. That doesn't make any, nobody will watch that. Not everyone's doing it. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I do 20 minutes. I figure that's a nice compromise. That's kind of a, I, I watch a lot of sailing channels and that's about what the most of them are about 20 minutes. Yeah. So. So it's hard to get into any serious content, you know, in 10 <laughs> minutes or less. I, I admire, you know, guys like Tucker Carlson just because they can say a lot in 10 minutes. I just wander mm -hmm. around. But anyway, LinkedIn, I don't know if we're connected, but again, mm -hmm. connect with me on LinkedIn and you'll see every day, you know, but the last two have been really interesting. I think you'll, I think you'd really like them. Yeah, I'm going to connect with you right now. But um, can you can you, first off, I wanted to say that when do we start the podcast? <laughs> honestly, honestly, 
I was like, I was going to, I don't want to cut you off because we were getting into good conversation, but if we could just use that content, I'll start, I'll just do the intro um, right now. And then the editor can use the intro, put it up at the beginning. But that's um, exactly how I do mine. Yeah. I just do a conversation when I interview people, I just do a conversation and then I do the Close intro. When I, yeah. When I know what I'm talking about. I, I, I hate, I hate watching interviewers that like stick to a list of questions that they had before and like, they're not really listening and, it just doesn't it doesn't flow as well so yeah you're you're we had a little flow there in conversation i don't want to cut you off but um i'll do the intro right now how do you pronounce miglash miglash like goulash miglash don't look at it just say <laughs> miglash it's really easy <laughs> all right so i'm here with john miglash from miglash marketing out in wisconsin um this guy knows his stuff he has a lot of history behind what he does he started off with the um, doing stuff with USPS, he got a lot of big name clients like Microsoft. Um, he's going to be sharing a lot of different marketing tips today. He's done. He's experienced in podcasting, so um, he will be very straightforward and very clear about what he says. Um, and we'll share a little bit about his origin of his company, his whole little life story of himself, and how he believes in I, I guess direct mail. And the value of direct mail um but yeah there's many other things that john miglosh does that i cannot explain within a little bit of an intro um but yeah john i'm gonna kick it over to you i just want you to explain i guess your origin and also your business overall business strategy right now in the business that you're running well i uh i wanted to go into ministry <laughs> so i so i got a degree in ancient history ancient medieval and and philosophy. And then I had really good hockey tickets. So I wanted to go to grad school. So I got a master's in philosophy and uh, philosophy of science. And um, after taking some, you know, typical out of college jobs, uh, where I where I sold printing, and I, I learned to program a computer and did some telemarketing and uh, graphic design, I got hired as a marketing consultant, which I'd never even heard of. Uh, and it turned out I had this knack for it that I could walk into a company and say, well, have you ever thought about doing this? And so that was in 1981. I started. So I've been a little more than 40 years as a marketing consultant. Um, and after about four or five years at the consulting firm, my boss said, your clients have incredible loyalty to you. Mm. He said, well, why do you think that is? I said, because I tell them the truth. <laughs> So I probably shot myself in the foot more than I've helped myself, but I've always tried to put my clients first and I've always tried to tell them the truth. You know, I told Dick Cabela he had too many fishing lures in his catalog. That didn't, <laughs> that didn't go over too well. <laughs> but that honesty keeps the uh, high retention. Well, yeah, but you never, you know, what happens in marketing is there's always a new, there's always a new guy coming in. You know, marketing uh, CMOs have a have about a two year, 24 month retention. Right. And so even if you solve the world's problems and make them millions of dollars or double the size of the company, which I've done over and over. Um, the people change and they bring in the people they want. So. Uh, Can you speak to the company that you've doubled and how you've done it? Pardon? 
Can you speak to a company that you've doubled their, their revenue? And how, and how well, one of the fun ones was Adobe. Uh, they had a little company that they accidentally bought. And uh, it was about 25 million in sales. And it was um, clip art. And then when the internet came along, they started doing images. And it was a company called Image Club Graphics that they owned. And um, so Adobe was sending us their registrations for uh, for Adobe Acrobat and uh, all of the other Adobe products. But 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 for some well, we were so we were getting about five thousand a month, and Image Club was mailing those. That wasn't that many. They were mailing them like twelve times once a month through the year. And I thought to myself, you know, there's gotta be more people registering for these Adobe products than that. And so I called up the, the list company and I said, you know, I've heard you're filtering this stuff. Do you know what the filters are? And they said, no, we don't know. We can't find the person who wrote the filters. <laughs> so, I, so I called Adobe IT, you know, out on the West Coast. And they said, no, we don't know. I said, well, why don't you just send us all, all of them, send everybody. Don't filter it. We'll filter it. They said, okay, sure. That's easier for us. We just won't run the filters. We'll send it to you. All of a sudden, we're getting 100,000 three, to 300,000. Okay. And so I said, well, we're not going to mail anybody twice, much less 12 times, until we mail everybody once in a building. Now, we didn't know anything about these people. They had just registered for, I mean, we knew the product they had registered for. But one of the things I knew from my other experience in graphic design is that there are communities of, of age, ad agencies and design firms. They're in like one part of town, right? Oftentimes they're in like one building as a, you know, or, or, a, you know, a bunch of buildings, but they're in, you know, like the Northwest side of, of Chicago, this is sort of the, the art district. Um, and so fifth Avenue uh, in uh, or Madison Avenue in uh, New York, and so I said, well, let's, instead of trying to figure out each individual person, let's model the building. It sounds crazy, I know. But we, so we modeled the building. We said, okay, so this building, we sent a hundred pieces of mail in and we got one order. And this building over here, we sent 20 pieces of mail in and got one order. I think this is a better building than that one. This is Yep. And so we, and, and, you know, so we did the machine learning and we figured out how to throw away most of the, most of the names we were getting. Cause we're getting like inundated with names. And we took them from mailing a half a million pieces a month to mailing a million pieces a month. Not only that, but we increased their revenue per piece, 74%, almost double. So we almost doubled the mailing and doubled the the return on investment per piece. Wow. Yeah, and so we took them from 25 million to 50 million annualized in about six months. Wow. And, and then what happened, which is what normally happens, then you say, oh, they're gonna pat you on the back, they're gonna use you forever. No, they bought themselves out of Adobe and sold themselves to Getty Images and started charitable foundations for the principals. And I got fired. Jeez. And eight years later, the same guys did it again. And they said, well, Getty wants to meet you. And I said, okay. So I was out in Seattle. I went over to Getty and I told them what we had done. 
And they said, oh man, we, that sounds so cool. We would have loved to work with you when, when we bought them. Yeah. I said, well, they told me that you said that you already knew how to do all that stuff. <laughs> See, nobody wants to tell, nobody sure. wants to tell the buyer that, you know, the beautiful gardens that go with this house are not my gardens. You know, I have a gardener I hire. They don't want to say that. They want to say like, this just, this just comes with the house. Yeah. We don't want to tell you who really built the garden. That's who really made this, right this thing valuable. Right. And so seven or eight times now, like Love Sack, Love Sack, I told you that story. Yep. What happened after we went from 50 million to 100 million? They went public. And I got a letter from them. And they said, your contract is with, you know, Lovesack Incorporated or whatever. We're starting a new corporation to go public on the NASDAQ. And so the contract is no longer valid. And they hadn't let, so they said, well, you can have the money we owe you or not, but we're going to not keep the contract. You got rid of their most valuable gardener. Uh, you know, I taught them everything I could. Yeah. And one of the guys who was speaking at the conference a little, a couple months later said, you know, you taught us so much. And I actually have a video where the, where the founder says how incredibly good the marketing department is at, at allocating funds mm -hmm. because they do direct marketing and direct. To grow. It's continued on. So it's really good. So can you speak to um, the value of direct mail and perhaps why you think direct, uh, why you think TikTok is a, is a modern a digital representation? Of I think you're going to have to edit that back in. I don't think I can give it the same enthusiasm the second time around. No, <laughs> no offense. Uh, yeah, I don't think I can really. I mean, I can, but let's take that other stuff. That was, I was, I was pumped at that point. Yeah. I about had it. What, what is, um, what is the, the bulk of your work right now? Right now, mainly I'm a content creator and I do that for fun. And I come in every day and I mean, try doing live stream every day. Yeah. And I think if you watch them, I think, I think there's some good content there. It's yeah. not just, it's not just I'm going to watch them. Like you're, I'm going to consume content from you hundred percent because I'm enjoying this call a lot and I'm learning a lot from you. Well, like I said, today's and yesterday's, I think you'll really like. Yeah. So call Joe Rogan, tell him if you really want to be happy. Oh, you know, I even prepared for this thing. I just want to, I want you to know I prepared for this and I did a, I did a, a, a presentation in case we were going to do, um, in case we were going to do it video. I didn't know if it was video or just audio. Yeah. And so if I share my screen, I can show you, I did it on happiness. Wait, I didn't. I didn't know what you're going to talk about. I had no idea. It's just yeah. loading now. That's by design. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So here we go. Yeah. Well, you want to see it? Yeah. I'm excited. Okay. So now if I share my screen, you have to let me be a host or something. I don't know how to do it. Oh, I just hit this button. Oh, you disabled me. Yeah. You got to make me the host or something like that. There you go. I think okay. you're clear now. Here we go. Okay, so this was the first one. Happiness. Now I can't move it. Oh, here we go. 
Okay, happiness happens when your happenings happen to happen the way you happen to want your happenings to happen. <laughs> That's from a, a pastor friend of mine. And the idea is that happiness is a very fleeting, ephemeral thing, right? That, that the more you focus on, on attaining happiness, probably the more unhappy you're going to be. Does that make sense? Yep. And I'm a big fan of Viktor Frankl. I I did a I did a live stream the beginning of last week, so it'd be about six or seven back. And I did it on on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Familiar. And uh, I recommended and I put in I put the entire book in the show notes. Every day I put up the show notes of the articles. And I suggested that people read. Uh, man's search for meaning and I actually then on Tuesday night my wife was out of town I decided I'd just read it again I've read it before and so I sat down and read it and highlighted it up so the the copy up on on the show notes is my highlighted version of man's search for meaning uh, but Victor says everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So you can always choose the attitude, even when you're in the most oppressive, you know, way below the, the, the minimum hygiene need that Maslow talks about. You can be self-actualizing even in the midst of complete horror. Well, you don't and even have physiological needs satisfied. You could still reach self-actualization. So like, debunks Maslow's hierarchy oh absolutely it's just and 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 Victor you know he he went through the school of three or four concentration camps as a prisoner so so he had real raw data then Abraham Lincoln who's a friend of mine says most folks are about as happy as they make up their minds to be and so I was thinking well you know that's kind of how I've gone through life is I've gone through life deciding to be happy you know, whether my circumstances were great or not. I mean, it's really hard when somebody's paying you about a million dollars a year to, you know, and you, and you, and you nail it, you know, you, you, you more than double their business in like less than six months and you get fired. You know, you got to decide to be happy. Edith Weisskopf, uh, who's a, like a admirer or a disciple of of Frankel said, our current mental hygiene philosophy stresses the idea that people ought to be happy, that unhappiness is a symptom of maladjustment. And so people are focused on being happy all the time and are completely destroying their lives. Uh, I, I, I watched The Whale this weekend. Have you heard about that? Got some Academy Awards. It's very, well, yeah, it's very disturbing. Yeah. It's a very disturbing movie, but it's worth watching. Uh, because that it's about a it's about a man who follows his passion, follows his appetites, you know, and the consequences of that. It's very very powerful. In theaters or, I uh, I think we saw it on Netflix or Amazon or something. I'll definitely watch that. It, it got it got at least I think best actor got Academy Award for best actor. Yeah. And it was a guy who was really a comedian. I mean, you think of him, he played Tarzan and mm -hmm. played a played a bunch of other comedy roles and it was, it's really, really powerful. It's scary powerful. Okay, so Victor also said how we, how content we were happy in spite of everything. And he was talking about when he got a, a sick day, yeah. you know, in the middle of the concentration camp, he said, we were all just giddy happy. 
So that's uh, I put that together just in case we were going to talk about happiness instead of business. Can I, I usually ask, can I ask you, are you happy? I don't know. That's why I did it. I was trying to, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And uh, I was just on the Zoom with my grandkids and, you know, they're just a, a barrel of monkeys. Um, you know, we had them come over for Christmas and, you know, how could you be much more happy than, than just seeing your grandkids, just to see them. Yeah, interact like That's... family is the I've done like hundreds of interviews asking people if they're happy and having a family and people around you like friends that's like a, a big um I guess thread through all of the happiest people that I've met yeah and uh you know I've I've been involved with my church for a lifetime I like to think that I contributed I mean only God knows really um, but you know, there's something there, I guess. One of the people I like to listen to said, every prayer changes the world. So as I get less active, uh, you know, I, I used to scuba dive a lot. I still ride my motorcycle. I rode it this morning, 27 degrees. It's a little like chilly. What? It's like a motorcycle for our audience of motorcycle lovers. It's a Suzuki Bergman it's a well, scooter i tell i tell people what it's like a sport bike it's a scooter it's a scooter yeah it goes 90 miles an hour but it's a scooter <laughs> it's incredible well if you, if you know what it is it's a heck of a little it's a heck of a little bike very comfy i want to look it up but yeah looks like we're we're running out of time here so i just want to say thank you for all the value provided today um definitely opened my eyes up to to the value of direct mail marketing. And I really enjoyed your personal, a couple of anecdotes about the companies you've helped um, double. And yeah, I've learned a lot from you and I wanted to just thank you for, for your time. Well, let's and keep also, in touch. If, if you can um, just share with our audience, like where they can, where they can find you, um, that would be good. Well, I'm on, I'm on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, um, I'm on YouTube with about 1200 or 1300 videos. If you can spell my name, you can pretty much find me M I G L A U T S C H. I'm on Twitter. Yes. I have two accounts, one serious and one just for fun. And mostly I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to start. Um, because I do, I keep it up all the time and I, I'm more likely to, to read a, a, a message on LinkedIn than I am a, an email. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for your time. Um, and yeah, let's keep in touch.